Hello, welcome to Skip It, uh, the podcast about Skippy, uh, where we go over every single episode of Skippy the Bush Kangaroo from the 1960s going into the 70s. I am joined uh, by Ashwin. Hey, Johnny. And Lee today. Hey, it's great to be here as always. And I just sort of wanted to say a few things at the start, because we're a bit of at a milestone. We're on the 20th episode, which, you know, is pretty amazing. And I wanted to sort of thank anyone that is listening out there. Thank you for listening. Um, And also wanted to thank Ashwin for sort of coming on to this. And then also I wanted to, like, special thanks to Lee from editing us so we actually sound intelligible and like a podcast. So all of that is because of Lee. And also, before I forget, his wonderful, wonderful song at the start and end of all the episodes. So just wanted to sort of say that because it was, you know, we've reached the 20 mark and what an episode to reach for number 20, Double Trouble. We'll start with the cast just to get them out of the way because there's a few people in there and it might get a bit cumbersome introducing as they go. Um, We've got Senator George Winthrop, played by uh, Tony Basil. We've got Dr. Anthony Stark, played by Frank Thring. We've got Sir Adrian Gipsy, played by John Warwick. And we've got Miss Winthrop, played by Thelma Scott and McGuthrie, by Red Moore. So I do know Tony Basil. He's pretty well known. I did recognise him. So we've got a few pretty well-known Australian character actors in there. And the script was Ross Napier again. Original story by Ed Devereaux, which is not too surprising considering the subject matter of it. And just as a note, just to start off, this is the first appearance of John Warwick in a support role as Sir Adrian Galipsy. He's the chairman of the Waratah National Park Board of Trustees. Uh, and then also there's... Ed Devereaux playing another part in there, which we'll get to, um, but he's not credited. This was also first aired in Melbourne on the 8th of the 4th, 1968. And yeah, let's get into it, guys. Sorry for the long intro, but there's a lot to get into with this episode. Yeah, no, Johnny, uh, thanks for your uh, introduction as well. Mm -hmm. It's it's been a fun 20 episodes. I reckon we've done as many episodes as there have been kangaroos featured in Skippy so far. (laughs) But what I wanted to say is Ed Devereaux wrote this episode and the last one he wrote where he got bitten by a snake, he seems to make himself the centre of the episodes when he writes them. Not skippy, not funny, but he also seems to suffer some kind of harm as well. So he can humble and arrogant at the same time. There's a common theme. There's a common theme. Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought too. He he does seem to make himself the main character. Okay, so I'll get into the episode. We start off with a man in a, a barber's chair getting a haircut and while Dr. Stark is looking on um, and Dr. Stark's a previous villain from uh, a few other episodes where he's he's trying to get Skippy. Uh, he, he really wants Skippy and we have him looking on as th- this barber is cutting a man's hair and he's looking on with a baby koala in his arms as well. Um, so that's how you know he's like super, super villain. He's got an animal and the barber finishes and says, voila, and Dr. Stark approaches with the koala in hand and says, you've done very well. And the doctor asks Mr. Loder, who we find, to stand and so he can judge the overall effect. Loder gets up and is in a ranger's outfit and as he turns, reveals dead ringer for Matt Hammond. And I've got down here, Matt Hammond tough. So it's like, and and it sort of gave me like the T-Birds from like 
grease vibes and he he's smoking a cigarette and he's got a quiffed up hair and he's just looking not nice but he's like this evil version of matt hammond and he says ranger matt hammond reporting for duty dr stark so what did you guys think lee exactly like you said i had a note here that it was like a 1950s greaser matt like ed Devereux just said make me look like james dean i was going to say like john Travolta, but this is about yep. 10 years before yeah. Probably more James Dean, yeah. More James Dean and smoking, and and his voice went from Ed Devereaux's got a fairly proper, like he pronounces his words very well, but this time he went full Aussie Bogan, where it's like, yeah, mate, just get it on with his cigarette in his mouth. It was just great reveal. Um, yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, I would call it a common Australian what he's talking. To me, yeah. it looked like Matt if he let himself go. <laughs> That's the vibe I got. When Absolutely. Yeah, but he puts like, more effort into his hair because the other Matt just has the sort of Beatles haircut. Yeah, he's got a mop sort of coming down. So Yeah, whereas this is like much more effort to get your hair gelled up. So he's, he's obviously more vain. And I thought it was funny, like, Ed Devereaux's acting range was do, like, the most common Australian accent you can and then make sure he's got his lips as tightly put together as possible as well that's his impression so he's smoking a cigarette which you know we know matt would never do and there so we have that reveal and it cuts to the intro to skippy can we um, say that um, just for those who are listening who aren't from australia they might be saying what are they talking about don't all australians have the same kind of accent it's not like in the us or the uk where the accents are very distinct it's probably got more twang like if, if yeah. i was to talk now in that for those just to hear the distinction anyone who's listening this is how you'd sound it'd be more like this for anyone who's listening, this is how you'd sound. Like a bit more twang, a bit more yep. like I'm from the country, mate. And this is just yeah. our talk cover. What I noticed was it's anything with a Y. Later on, Matt says, very. And then Loder would have said, very. Yes. Like that. Yeah. You know, because like that very is like very, you know, <laughs> English and uh, the uh-huh. Queen and, you know, like very like proper. So, uh, you know, that's one of the big things that I sort of noticed. But, yeah, you can definitely tell in this episode like Matt's elocution lessons and how he's yeah. improved his speech over time. Which yeah. is unusual because Lotus spends so much time with Dr. Stark who feels like he fell in an elocution vat as a baby. <laughs> The most ridiculously overpronounced word. Incredible light to listen to, just as entertainment. Yeah, Dr. Stark is has got one of the most English Australian but that, you know, I think there was like a echelon of Australian that would pretty much be speaking English because there would be mm-hmm. that whole leftover thing of thinking they are actually English. It's a pretty funny thing and it's a fun episode to compare all of that stuff. So after the intro we've got Mark, uh, Matt and Sonny are out in front of the station uh, with Matt saying he's marked out areas. He's sort of marking something on the map for Mark and Sonny to go and do and some random thing they never actually really explain. And then while we're getting this, we hear that Jerry is off at some surf competition and apparently didn't do very well. Mark says some side comment to that. It was a throwaway comment, but I was like, oh, that's got to be important for later. So, yeah, we'll just say that it's important for later. Um, What did you guys think of that? I thought it was interesting. I think the line was about practicing. There's a little tension between Mark and Jerry. Oh, that's right. Yeah, about not letting Jerry practice. And that is true. Jerry is always helicopter piloting as well. He does. (laughs) Mark does have him under the thumb. Uh, in some way. But this whole episode, I was starting to get quite tense at this point because as genres go, I hate it when a good person 
gets smeared or maligned as being a bad person and everyone thinks they're bad. So I could sense that this is coming up for our lovely Ranger Matt. And I was actually getting quite uncomfortable with what was about to be done to him. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was sort of an interesting side note. So Sonny and Mark, they head off and Matt goes back inside. Then we cut to some men uh, on a telephone line tapping into what we assume to be the station line. Uh, the phone rings at the ranger station and Matt picks it up. So there's a guy up on the telephone wire. He's tapped in and there's a wire coming down to the car and there's a man with like a cloth over the phone and he does sort of some dodgy receptionist voice and says, Linus McFadden here, which is some judge and uh, he needs to get a, a message to his grandson that's camping in the park. So Matt agrees to this and Matt gets off the phone, goes to Clancy and she asks if she can play the piano. Matt says he's got to go and do this and some important people are coming at 3.30 and keep note of these times, people, because it's all important to Dr. Stark's plan. The funny thing for me was she asks Matt, can I play the piano? We see him get into his car. The second that we see him outside, the piano immediately starts and it scales again. And I was like, when is he going to move on from these bloody scales? <laughs> yeah. I know. It's uh, incessant. Yeah, it's very thorough. I like it. <laughs> She's going to be the best piano player ever. Um, I'm really hoping her like uh, story like later on when she leaves is that she becomes like the world's greatest piano player. Okay. Um, of scales. <laughs> hey, someone's got to be. <laughs> so we've got Matt, you know, heading out and... He's got important visitors. He says, give them the uh, red carpet treatment, basically, to keep an eye on the place. And Clancy goes off to do her scales. Matt heads off. Uh, Stark's men sees Matt leave, and they notify Loder, and he moves in. And Loder's, like, sitting in the bush, sort of further down, like, behind a bush in, in a replica, I guess, of Matt's station wagon ranger car, obviously waiting for Matt to go. Matt uh, drives off down a dirt road. Loder waits for Matt to go past on his way to the camping ground and Loder radios Dr. Stark and Dr. Stark is in a car. This is, this is where it'll get really complicated, guys. Sorry. So I'm sorry if I lose you. So Dr. Stark is in a car with his baby koala again and uh, he's being driven, obviously, by his driver and the driver informs him that everything is satisfactory. Dr. Stark is in the in the back of the car and Sir Adrian is telling him, who's the head of the National Park Service, is telling him they are a bit late and he told the Senator 3.15 and Sir Adrian then says that they told Hammond 3.30 and then the Senator won't mind waiting. And then we cut to the Senator and his wife in the back of their car and his wife is uh, complaining about the trip through the bush and she thought it was going to be a nice trip and all of that sort of stuff. So what did you guys think of all of that? Yeah, I'm glad you're the one describing it because I thought the same thing is very sort of convoluted, but it would have required quite a bit of planning to get that right. And for it to make sense, I think that anyone who's listening to us, if you can get a hold of this episode, have a watch of it because it's it's quite intricate the way that this plan is devised and also very intricate in terms of what Stark had to do. Like that scene that you mentioned, John, where you can see, I'll just call him Evil Matt, sitting by that car replica for him to have then bought the exact same kind of car and put all the insignia all over it to yep. say that because it wasn't just a regular station wagon. It's like branded for the ranch. So that's a lot of work to do to find an identical twin of Matt 
didn't bother doing the haircut though. <laughs> just decided to give him like some sort of face surgery to make him look identical and then the haircut, which didn't actually make sense because he's in a hairdresser. Now that I think of it. Yeah, he didn't give him a haircut that looked like that at all. <laughs> and how so, long was his hair before that? Very involved with plan. I'm guessing he just like dragged some hippie off the street. But also didn't actually, at this point, we still don't know. I mean, we find out, but we don't really know what is Stark's plan. We know that he's trying to besmirch the credibility and but how and why? Yeah, and also I'm noticing the authority figures. They're quite remote, stuck-up figures so far. The senator, the senator's wife, Stark. Everyone's a bit clipped and uptight. It's there was no like Bob Catters back then, or you know Clive Armand's. <laughs> Everyone's just so aristocratic in their mood, which adds to the menace that Matt's now facing. Yeah, and, like, to add to Lee's remark about, like, just this plan, it's like sheep rustling and shearing their wool (laughs) for money instead of just going out and getting a job shearing sheep. This was a very convoluted plan by Dr. Stark. So Loder is uh, waiting on the side of the road and the senator's car goes past. The senator explains to his wife, the acclaimed zoologist, Dr. Stark, is donating $10,000 to the park for research. So that just gives us the whole reason. So Dr. Stark's, you know, has sort of bribed his way in, but I think he should have used these, that $10,000 and donated it to the senator's political party and then got a favour that way. The old-fashioned Australian way. Jeez, you know. He probably could have put a hit on um, Matt you know, for $10,000 back then. Yeah, this whole point of the Starks' research being funded for the park, no one's noticed that Dr. Stein has been missing for the last six months, so <laughs> I don't know where they're going to spend that money. Loder starts speeding up behind them, and he comes up to the side of it, goes in front of it, and then forces it off the side of the road, and then sort of semi-crash. And uh, Loder gets, he stops just in front of them. He gets out, goes to the car and says, what are you mugs playing at? Think you own the road or something? So this is like he's impersonating Matt and trying to make him look like a psychopath. The senator tells him he's a maniac and he says that he could have killed us all. Loder responds, good job if I had. (laughs) And the senator is flabbergasted and says, you insolent lout. And Loder threatens the senator, watch it, mate. Don't you go calling me names or I'll give you a thump in the ear. The wife says, you know, how dare you being a head ranger? And the senator asks if he knows who he's talking to. And Loder says, I'm talking to you, sport. And if you know what's good for you, (laughs) you won't give me no back chat. Now get this heap of junk out of here. So guys, like... This is our first, like, Loder impersonation of Matt, and god damn, he is one massive asshole. Yeah, and it, it was. It was an asshole moment. It was adding to my disapp- disappointment, with the, just annoyance, because I hate good people being depicted badly. It just feels really awkward, so, mm-hmm. yeah. But he played up the asshole well, so, yeah, oh, yeah. good job. It was, it was a great little uh, incident. So, uh, at that moment, Dr. Star's car comes down the road, and Loder starts walking off, and... Um, Sir Adrian spots them on the side of the road and they pull over and the senator tells Sir Adrian to stop that man. He deliberately ran them off the road and tried to kill them. Loder is sort of getting into his car and Sir Adrian calls after him, but he drives off and Adrian says he's at a complete loss. 
Uh, and then lo- you cut to Loder in the car, very happy with himself because he's job well done for Mr. Stark. Uh, Loder drives past Mark and Sonny as they're doing their little map work in the in the road. So they sort of see him and they go, oh, he must have seen them, but maybe he couldn't stop. Um, and then they just keep on going on doing their job, whatever that was. <laughs> Back at the car wreck, uh, Sir Adrian doesn't know what to say about Hammond, and he, he says he's the best in the service, and Senator George says, um, would hate to meet the others, and Stark agrees. And Stark is, like, getting smugger and smugger from this moment onwards because his plans are all coming into place. They all head off and uh, see what Matt has to say for himself because, you know, they've got to meet him. Loder picks up the telephone tapper, McGuthrie, on the way, and McGuthrie notices that there's a fuel leak in his his car so he must have like hit something and the gauge is going down so it's Stark's men are running out of fuel. Matt is coming back from the campsite and radios Clancy and Clancy's doing scale still. Um, <laughs> she runs back to the uh, radio once she hears it and um, he asks when the visitors get there because he's running late now to take them to the office and give them the red carpet treatment. And until until he gets there, uh, Matt gets in his car and heads off. Stark's car arrives and they all get out. Sonny, Skip and Mark are all still in the bush saying they're looking forward to a nice cold drink. And then Stark and co go inside. So all of the senator, his wife, Clancy meets them and takes them into Mr. Hammond's office. And he, oh, sorry, she says, Mr. Hammond won't be long. And then Miss Winthrop notes that it's such terrible things that such a nice girl is under the care of such a monster. And George, the senator, says they won't have to put up with him for much longer. Stark agrees, still smug as hell. Clancy goes out and meets Matt because he's just arrived home. Matt comes in. Sir Adrian uh, says he's already met the Winthrops, but he says he doesn't believe he has. Miss Winthrop calls him a maniac, and Matt says, I beg your pardon. George says he has some gall, and Matt sees Stark and asks, what's going on? I was also surprised that they didn't recognise that Matt's not the imposter. I'm pretty sure you can tell those two apart. So I just thought, yeah, I guess you have to play along for suspension of disbelief. But I was hoping that Matt was going to get out at that moment, but no, still crap. Adrian, because he goes, I guess he didn't meet the guy. You know, they're sort of like, uh, you know, the writers are sort of dancing around that bit. But, um, yeah, it seems like I think also I'm a bit let down with Sir Adrian already because he's, like, got no faith in Matt. Like, I just think that if he knew Matt that well. But then again, I don't know, we get to it later. The kids even don't have much faith in Matt either. So Matt sort of now, like, sees Stark. He's sort of going, what's going on? In his eyes, he's got a bad feeling. Uh, the senator demands that uh, his, his instant dismissal from the service. Matt is still clueless, says he doesn't know what he's done. So Adrian says he has no choice but to uh, relieve Matt of his position of head ranger immediately. It's up to the senator if he wants to press criminal charges. Matt looks at Stark, who, again, like he is just grinning ear to ear. He is so happy with what's happening and what's transpiring. So we've got uh, Clancy talking to Mark and Sonny in the back because they've come back and Skippy's there too. They're in uh, Sonny's room and Clancy explains what she overheard because she's sort of hearing this meeting. Uh, They go over what's happening and we cut back to the room and Matt says that he can prove that he was not anywhere near the senator. Sonny and Matt 
and Clancy all go to overhear what's happening and they overhear Matt saying he wasn't anywhere near there and they say that's where they saw him. So they're like, what's going on? They think Matt might be lying for some reason. Stark asks Matt, if you're so innocent, please tell us the details of the movements uh, from three onwards. And this is where the times get all important. Matt says he was would be glad to. Matt explains that he got a call from Judge McFadden that he had a message for his grandson camping at the park. He went to give him the message, but the campground was empty. So Adrian immediately says he knows the judge and that he knows that he has no grandson because he is a bachelor. So Stark is well ahead of the curve. But how convoluted is this plan? Matt hangs his head in confusion. He doesn't know what to say. The senator uh, checks the operator, and um, I don't know, they could do this back then, but they checked with the operator, and he said that he had no calls from Sydney on the line at that time. That was an interesting moment. I was like, there must have only been about six phone calls in the Sydney district uh, about that time. I guess so. And maybe there's just, like, one operator that controls the phone line that goes to his thing. So, Mm. um, yeah, it was a very interesting sort of way to set him up. But I just think really overly complicated. And um, Stark says that his alibi seems flimsier and flimsier. And so Adrian uh, says that he has to take that action. And then Matt looks at the gloating Starks and he's smoking his cigar Loder and McGuthrie, so they cut back to them in their car. They've run out of gas and they're on the side of the road. McGuthrie says to Loder, pull over a car that's coming and uh, commandeer it because he's the head ranger. And Loder, the moron that he is, just realises that and goes, oh, yeah, I can, and goes to stop the car. And we do see a bit of the car. And I'll just say that it was... A convertible with a surfboard in the back and they sort of pretty much cut with him going up to the car. We cut back to the house and we've got Stark and he comes out and he sees the kids and Skippy all listening in the hallway. Uh, He goes to gloat over Skippy and he says that there's going to be some changes around here. Matt comes out and says, that's far enough, Stark. And then Stark, like a big baby, calls to Adrian. <laughs> Matt's uh, coming near me. And so Adrian comes out and says the senator's going to press charges. And then Matt will have to come back to town with them. Sonny goes to Matt. And when Sonny hears that his uh, dad's going to jail, basically, he says there has to be some misunderstanding. And... Um, Matt says that they'll have it all cleared up very soon, looking at Stark. Stark says Skip will soon be in excellent hands, grinning like an evil villain. Sonny says, you're not going to have her. Matt responds, "Uh, not if I can help it. And this is where it gets sort of, this is probably the only thing, well, to a degree, Skippy does do some stuff. But Stark goes up to Skippy, trying to sort of pat her or whatever, I don't know. And Skippy basically hops onto her and knocks him down and hops away. This is really the scene, though, where we find out all of this is just so that he can get Skippy. This yeah. is the whole reason that he's done any of this is revealed in this last scene that he just, again, wants Skippy, which is such an elaborate scheme for something like that. And it was another really good attack shot of Skippy jumping at Stark's face because they had the camera down quite low behind Skippy. So when she jumps, it really looks like she just jumped right and kicked him in the face. And yeah, yeah. it feels like Skippy actually hates this actor. <laughs> Doesn't take much for them to get her she's to hop on him. edge all the time because she's seen so oh. many of the fellow kangaroos killed and it's just any human now is a threat 
Yeah, mm. exactly. And um, this is the second time that uh, Stark's been hopped on by Skippy too. Remember the yeah. uh, when he captured her and um, yeah. she hopped out of the cage, and that's how she escaped. So she's a you know she's well versed on how to hop onto Doctor Stark. So she hops on Dr. Stark and knocks him down. And so we cut to the senator. Um, he comes out and says, they've got to leave. Matt says uh, to the kids uh, that Jerry is going to be in charge. And, you know, it's all like getting very like, oh, Dark says that he'll be back, basically. And they all leave together and they're going out to the car. As they're going out to the car, a convertible with a surfboard comes. And it's Jerry. And yay. So things are coming together. Jerry gets out of the car and he gets Loder out of the boot of the car. And that convertible did not look like it had a lot of boot space. (laughs) So that would have been a really uncomfortable ride on a dirt road in a convertible in the 1960s. It's all feeling very Scooby-Doo at the moment. (laughs) Holds him up. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Because in a convertible, there's no way to keep him in the back seat or even in the front seat without him either jumping out or attacking you. So it was the only choice. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was a very funny situation. I just thought it was a little uh, funny. So Jerry gets uh, Loader out of the back. Matt looks on and Jerry comes up, you know, with this guy. He's sort of got his head down, the person he pulled out of the boot, and says uh, he was trying to get fuel off him. And as they're saying, this Loader looks up and it's, you know, him all, his hair's down. So he looks more like Matt now, but he's got a big black eye and like a big bruise on his cheek. Jerry gave him a real one-two, which, you know, he totally deserved. There's a shot of Matt and Loder face to face. And this is where we get the 1968 special effects extravaganza. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but there was like a massive black line right in the middle. They didn't even like try to hide it with a fence or anything. And that, that was actually the only shot of the two Hammonds together facing yep. one another, which I felt like was a missed opportunity. But again, if it was the effects of the time that limited it, I guess at least we got one. If the if that was the shot and that was the size of the line they had, we we're probably lucky we got the one. Yeah. So we got the uh, the full on twin effect of Matt and Matt, the same actor facing each other, the evil Matt and the good Matt. Jerry says that he almost had him fooled. Uh, Matt says he wasn't the only one, and Jerry looks at the senator and the rest. And then he said, was he Dr. Stark? And uh, so, you know, implying stuff. The senator says, who would go to such lengths to discredit you? Matt says, good question, and asks Dr. Stark. The doctor denies everything. And then this is how Matt became a park ranger, damn it. Matt turns the tables and says, oh, so now that he's not what they think he is, he can now donate $10,000 to the park. And Dr. Stark says, I seem to have forgotten my pen. And then good old Matt pulls out his pen. If this was like 2021, that's when the boss sunglasses would have dropped onto Matt. (laughs) He gives it, oh, well, I think it's a bit later where uh, he does the ultimate power move and he gets him to sign $10,000 over Mm. the park. So that's like Matt's paycheck for the year. And then he says, don't forget the pen. And he gets the pen back off Dr. Stark. So (laughs) Dr. Stark's not taken anything from frigging yeah. Matt Hammond. Let's not also forget, Johnny, that when he gives him the pen, he also takes the opportunity to take the baby koala off his shoulder. Oh, yeah. I didn't even see that because I had to go back and confirm that because that comes up in just a second. I didn't see that. So he takes off the baby koala. That's where it came from. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. 
Okay, so everyone sort of waves goodbye as they get into the car and they take the offending loader with them. Matt and family all wave goodbye, as well as, of course, Skippy waving her little hand with a baby koala on her back. Obviously, the one that Matt just took Mm. off Dr. Stark. So there's the end. What a wonderful, wonderful episode. I think I'm going to give this one a four, seven, five gum leaves. I I liked it a lot just because it was a lot to do. It was very convoluted, but I love the whole comic book evil Superman type deal with it where it's just like I was hoping you'd see like him in a in a bar like it down in the town like beating up people saying oh I'm Matt Hammond blah 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 like in the Superman movie but yeah I liked it it was a really good episode solid Lee uh what what did you reckon yeah I also liked it I think Skippy waving the other thing I liked about that at the very end was everyone was waving goodbye to Stark and it looked to me like when Skippy was waving goodbye to Stark, there was just this thing of, fuck off, you wanker. What you, <laughs> you didn't get me. Bye-bye. You know, goodbye. So I thought it was a decent episode. I think the elaborate plot was good. They were trying something different. I felt that it could have been better. Due to the half-hour format, I don't think they were able to explore the evil Matt as much as they could have. I think there could have been some really cool moments with the evil Matt. You mentioned one like in Superman. Rather than him just being sort of a plot device to allow Stark to again try and nab Skippy. And I think of, you know, think of Ash and Evil Ash and Army of Darkness or even Evil Cooper from Twin Peaks. I think there's, like, there's so much fun you could have with an evil doppelganger. And I think maybe if the show was a two-parter, they could have done some more, or it could have been, again, a limitation based on the special effects. Mm. But I thought it was good, but I think it could have done more. So overall, I think it was a good show. I'm going to give it 3.75 gum leaves. Mm. Cool. I... I liked it. I think I'm halfway between you guys, I think. Like, to me, the episode had a lot of interesting different elements and parts. It felt like a mix of, like, Dukes of Hazard and Face Off to take two modern genres with the car chase and with the identity theft and everything. So, yeah, I thought it was a quirky episode. I did like the plot. I don't know if it had too much heart in it, but so I think the episodes that push me to 4.8, 4.7 have some sort of heart in them as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sitting around 4.3 for this one. 4.3 gum leaves. You know what would have been a great moment now that I think of this just pops in my head? Would have been, and this, when you said heart, I thought this would have been devastating. Would have been if there was a moment between Sonny and Evil Matt yep. where Evil Matt just says something or does something so out of character that it just shatters Sonny because think about how many times we've seen that bond between them where there's a real genuine love that would have been heart-wrenching especially for you Ashman you know how you said you hate the idea of a good person's reputation being besmirched by someone as an, an imposter or a fraudster mm. imagine yeah. that that would have been just devastating yeah I think yeah. that would have been a good uh, little scene to add just to add that emotional heart because then you could have uh, had a scene of reconciliation later yeah. but yeah, yeah no I think you're right there needed to be something a little bit extra there I think with those uh, character interactions to be honest, I was really wanting Matt to fight Matt, if you know what I mean. Like, I was yeah. thought that's where they were going to go because they could easily have gotten around it by just having, a you know, his double doing it, the Russell Tuffle. So I was really hoping he'd be able to punch him, but 
obviously Jerry did that, and you didn't even see any of that action. So it was uh, sort of an interesting cutaway there. Um, but no, well, getting yep. back to that, if Sonny had been affected, and we know Sonny can fight, if they all piled onto the evil man, yeah, and they yeah. had to have a moment where Sonny's got a gun in his hand, and he's yeah. like, got to pick which one to shoot. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> classic Scooby Doo. Oh my god, that would have been awesome. And, and also, it's like, um. Like evil Sonny and evil Jerry had appeared on screen, and it was just like a WrestleMania between all of their doppelgangers. I would have like, yeah, very surreal moment. Well, maybe they'll. The, what would be great is if um one day Skippy, there was an evil Sonny and a good and Skippy has a gun in her hand, and she has to choose which one's the good one and which one's the bad one. Anyway, and they'll be like, "No, I'm the real Sonny. Skippy, shoot him." But we'll get to the next episode, which will be episode twenty-one trapped dr stark uh so dr stark's back for this episode sends an operative into the park to collect a rare anteating specimen using a gas emitting camera clancy stumbles across the collector and is temporarily paralyzed by the device and i won't read any more because it gives away the rest of the show please join us again then thank you very much lee thank you johnny and thanks ashwin thanks ashwin thanks guys see you next time See ya. Scoopy, scoop, 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 sco